Welcome to Path of a Green Witch podcast. In this episode, I want to talk a little bit more about Filipino witchcraft. So in this episode, I'm actually going to get into Filipino shamanism and the history of shamanism. I know very little about shamanism in general, so this was actually helpful in giving me like a basic understanding of what a shaman is and their role in Filipino society and therefore kind of gave me a sense of what the role of a shaman might be in other cultures as well. The Spanish colonized the Philippines for a couple of different reasons. One, they wanted to have easier access to the spice trade, and two, they wanted to spread Christianity throughout Asia. The Spanish viewed the Philippines as a stepping stone to the riches of the East Indies, the Spice Islands. The Portuguese navigator and explorer Ferdinand Magellan claimed the Philippines for Spain in 1521. The first permanent Spanish settlement was established in Cebu in 1565, and the Spanish city of Manila was founded in 1571. By the end of the 16th century, most of the coastal and lowland areas were under Spanish control. Friars marched with soldiers and soon accomplished mass conversion to Roman Catholicism. But the Muslims, who the Spanish called Moros, were never completely subdued by Spain. Spanish rule for the first 100 years was operated very similarly to the tax farming system in the Americas, but their system was known as the encomienda. The Spanish invaders did not treat the Filipino people well at all, and like most other oppressed people, the Filipino people fought back. One way they fought back was through the power of their shamans. Filipino shamans were commonly known as babaylan, or balian, or catalonan. Shamans specialized in communicating with the spirits of the dead and the spirits of nature. They would also harness these spirits and appease them in different ways. Filipino shamans were almost always women who had spirit guides. One important role of the Filipino shaman was to act as a medium during a seance ritual. There are various subtypes of Filipino shamans who specialize in arts like healing, herbalism, divination, and sorcery. Most Filipino shamans inherited their status from an older shaman that they were apprenticed to, and this was usually a relative. In some cultures, older shamans choose their apprentice from among the eligible young women of the village. But a few become shamans after experiencing a shamanistic initiatory crisis. It's also known as shamanic illness or shamanic madness. This might include a serious or chronic illness, a near-death experience, sudden seizures, trembling, depression, strange events, or behaviors like the ability to climb trees or disappearing for several days with no memory of the events. It might also include bouts of insanity, strange visions or dreams, and these experiences are regarded as encounters with the spirits. This is a time when the soul of the person is journeying to the spirit world. In these cases, they believe that a spirit has chosen the person rather than the other way around. After being chosen, shamans go through an initiation rite. For people with shamanic illness, the initiation rites are regarded as the cure, so at 
at that point the person regains health or sanity by conceding to the wishes of the spirits and answering the call. When someone is volunteered to be a shaman, their relatives are usually required to pay a large fee to the senior shaman for training. Initiation rites can range from simply inducing a trance through herbs or alcohol to inducing personal crisis through physical or psychological hardship. Extreme examples of initiation rites include being buried alive or being immersed in water overnight. After initiation, then the apprentices are trained in the details of their role. So the training might include learning about the rituals, the chants and songs, the sacrifices that are appropriate for each spirit, the oral histories, the herbs and healing practices, and the magic spells, and many other things. The apprentice will assist the senior shaman during ceremonies until their training is complete. This training can take months to years, and each shaman can actually have more than one apprentice, and they can be at different ranks or have different specializations. Now I want to talk a little bit about the shaman spirit guides. The shaman's power to communicate with the spirit world is derived from their spirit companion that guides them and intercedes for them. The spirit guide is usually referred to with a kind term like abian, which means friend, or bante, which means guardian, or gabe, which means guide. Shamans usually have at least one spirit guide. More powerful shamans might have many. Some individuals like powerful leaders or warriors, especially a warrior with like a shaman relative, are believed to have their own spirit guide that gives them magical powers. Spirit guides are also believed to guide, teach, and inspire skilled artists and craftsmen in the community. Spirit guides can be ancestor spirits, but they are more commonly non-human spirits. So shamans either had spirit companions from birth or drew their attention during their shamanic illness or they gain their allegiance during initiation into shamanism. Spirit guides are believed to be social beings with individual quirks and personalities that might be good and bad. And the friendship with your spirit guide depends on reciprocity. The shamans do not command them. People with a spirit guide must regularly offer sacrifices to their spirits, and these sacrifices usually consist of food, alcoholic drinks, or the blood from a sacrifice animal, usually a chicken or a pig, and this helps to maintain a good relationship with your spirit guide. Once you earn the friendship of a spirit guide, it's enduring. They become a part of the family. The spirit guide of a deceased shaman will often return to a living relative who might choose to become a shaman as well. Spirit guides are essential to shamanic rituals because they prevent the shaman's soul from getting lost in the spirit world. They also communicate on behalf of the shaman to more powerful spirits or deities, and they fight evil spirits during healings or exorcism rituals. Now I want to talk a little bit about sex and gender. In most Filipino ethnic groups, shamans were predominantly female, and this is partly due to the role of the shaman being an intrinsically feminine one. Among the minority of males who belonged to the class of shamans, there were asog, who assumed the voice, mannerisms, hairstyle, and dress of 
females. They were treated as women by the community and were considered as comparable to biological women aside from their incapability to give birth to children. Their social status and recognition as women also granted them access to professions that were related to the spiritual realm, so they could be shamans and religious functionaries. Because of the fact that shamans were almost always women, it seems that prior to colonialism in the Philippines, female shamans had a lot of religious and societal power. Femininity was considered the vehicle to the spirit world during the pre-colonial era. After the Spanish conquest of the Philippines, the practice of shamanism had to go underground, and that's because shamans were persecuted by the Catholic Church. During this time, male shamans, especially those who specialized in non-religious arts like herbalism and healing, became predominant. Female shamans became less common. Asogs, whether they were shaman or not, were punished really harshly and driven into hiding. I think the closest term to asog in English would probably be a trans woman. Shamans, who were generally women, were free to marry and have children, and asogs tended to be married as well. Spanish colonists noted that asogs were married to men. That's why I think that they would have probably identified as trans women. Now I want to get into some of the roles of the Filipino shamans. I already mentioned that they acted as spirit mediums, they did healing rituals, traditional massage, divination, sorcery, they made talismans and potions, and some of them did black magic. The primary role of the shamans were to be spirit mediums. They were intermediaries between the physical world and the spirit world. There are two general types of spirits that were usually interacted with. The first are the environmental or nature spirits, and these are bound to a particular location or natural phenomenon. They own places and concepts like agricultural fields, forests, cliffs, seas, winds, lightnings. Some of these environmental or nature spirits were also keepers of various animals and plants. Environmental or nature spirits do not normally appear in human form. They're usually genderless or androgynous. They rarely concern themselves with human affairs. Rituals involving nature or environmental spirits are almost always conducted outdoors. The second type of spirits are the unbound spirits that have an independent existence. They appear in animals, usually as birds, or in human-like forms. They have gender differentiation and they have personal names. These unbound spirits are similar to the fairies of European folklore. These spirits are the most common types to become spirit guides because they are the most social and they take an interest in human activities. They can be invited into human households and their rituals can take place both outdoors and indoors. So these two categories are not static. A bound spirit can become unbound and vice versa. Some shamans have spirit guides that were originally nature spirits and have become unbound. Not all shamanistic rituals result in spirit possession. Unbound spirits always possess shamans during rituals. They either do this voluntarily or involuntarily, but bound spirits do not possess shamans. 
Instead, they are simply spoken to by the shaman. Bound spirits that inadvertently stick to humans are considered dangerous, and they're the causes of spiritual illnesses ranging from confusion, strange food cravings, lust, to unreasonable anger. Sometimes in order to speak to certain bound spirits, the shaman might need the help of their spirit guide, and in this case, the spirit guide will possess the shaman. Bound spirits can also be interacted with by non-shamans, like when you're offering sacrifices to the spirits of the forest. Filipino shamans perform public ceremonies for community prosperity, fertility, or for good weather. They also perform private services to diagnose and cure ailments. So these shamans were very respected in their communities for these reasons, but they were also feared as sorcerers who were able to work black magic. Now I want to talk about Filipino shamans as healers. Healing was the most important role for a shaman in their community. Filipino shamans distinguish between two kinds of illnesses. They recognize that there are natural illnesses and spiritual illnesses. Natural illnesses do not require a shaman for healing, but spiritual illnesses do. Similar to other Austronesian cultures, Filipinos believe in the concept of soul dualism, and this is often referred to as twin souls or double souls. Each person is believed to be composed of at least two souls. The breath of life stays with the living body. The astral soul can travel to the spirit world. The Ginhawa is believed to reside in the pit of the stomach, usually the liver. The Kalag resides in the head, so the Ginhawa represents the person's body and bodily urges, while the kalag represents the person's identity, mind, and strength of will. And both of these are required for you to be a living person. Natural illnesses are the result of damage to the ginhawa. And like I said, natural illnesses do not require a shaman, but they are still important because the death of the ginhawa will also mean the death of the body. Natural illnesses can sometimes be treated by a skilled shaman but they were often relegated to apprentices or assistants who might be specializing in healing or herbalism. Spiritual illnesses, on the other hand, are believed to be caused by the separation of the kalag from the ginhawa, so this is often referred to as soul loss. This separation happens normally during sleep when the kalag detaches to travel through the spirit world, resulting in dreams. But when this separation happens while the person is awake, it results in spiritual illnesses. The causes of the separation can include the kalag getting lost in the spirit world, the kalag being captured, attacked, or seduced by another spirit, or the kalag might simply refuse to return to the ginhawa. This might not be immediately lethal. The loss of the kalag can result in the loss of the person's mind and identity, so it can make them insane. Spiritual illnesses might include delirium, depression, trauma, fainting spells, or other mental illnesses. Evil or undesirable behavior might also be blamed on disharmony between the Kalag and the Ginhawa. Filipino shamans perform rituals to heal and strengthen the Kalag of a person. These rituals protect the person from possible spiritual attack caused by malevolent spirits and sorcery. Traditional massage is another thing that Filipino shamans do. Traditional massage is a healing practice that is still done to this day. Filipino shamans and healers use massage with oils, and this is known as hilot or haplos. 
Divination was closely tied to healing, so it was used for diagnosing illnesses. Filipino shamans and their apprentices used various paraphernalia and rituals to diagnose illnesses. These might include seashells, ginger, quartz or alum crystals, which are called tawas, and chicken entrails. Diviners have names that indicate their preferred methods. For example, a diviner that uses alum crystals is known as a magdatawas, while a diviner that prefers to conduct a ritual known as luwap is known as a mangluluwap. Diviners are able to foretell the future and perform geomancy rituals. An important creature in Filipino shamanism and geomancy specifically is the bakunawa. It's also known as the naga. Bakunawa is believed to originally have been a compound word meaning bent snake. Due to increasing trade contacts with South Asia, the Bakunawa later became syncretized with the Naga Rahu from the Hindu Buddhist religion. The Bakunawa is believed to be the cause of eclipses, earthquakes, rains, and winds. The movement of the Bakunawa served as a geomantic calendar system for ancient Filipinos. It was used as part of shamanistic rituals. So the Bakunawa is a serpent-like dragon. The Bakunawa is usually depicted with a characteristic looped tail and a single horn on the nose. It was generally believed to be a sea serpent, but some people believed that the Bakunawa inhabited either the sky or the underworld. Tales about the Bakunawa say that it is the cause of eclipses. During ancient times, Filipinos believed that there were seven moons created by their supreme god, Bathala, to light up the sky. The Bakunawa was amazed by the beauty of the moons, so it would rise from the ocean and swallow the moons whole. To keep the moons from completely being swallowed by the Bakunawa, ancient Filipinos would go out of their homes with pots and pans and make lots of noise in order to scare the Bakunawa into spitting the moon back out into the sky. Some of the people in the villages would play soothing sounds with their musical instruments in hopes that the dragon would fall into a deep sleep. The brave men of the village hoped that while the dragon was hypnotized by the musical sounds, they could somehow slay the dragon. The dragon was known as as moon eater, but it was also known as man eater. Another tale about the Bakunawa says that it has a sister that's a sea turtle. The sea turtle would visit a certain island in the Philippines in order to lay its eggs, but the locals soon discovered that every time the sea turtle went to shore, the water seemed to follow her, and that reduced the island's size. So the locals were worried that their island would eventually disappear, so they killed the sea turtle. And when the Bakunawa found out about this, it arose from the sea and ate the moon. The people were afraid, so they prayed to the supreme god to punish the creature. The god refused, but instead told them to bang some pots and pans in order to disturb the serpent. The moon was then regurgitated while the Bakunawa disappeared, never to be seen again. There's another Bakunawa story that tells about how the Bakunawa fell in love with a human girl in one of the native tribes. The head of the tribe found out about their affair and had their house burned to ashes. The Bakunawa found out about this and became so angry that it tried to take revenge by eating all the seven moons. When the Bakunawa was about to eat the last one, the Supreme God took action and punished the Bakunawa by banishing it from its home away from the sea. So in this story, the reason for the eclipses is that the Bakunawa is trying to come back to its home and deceased family. Some Filipino elders believe that Bakunawa is a moving island with communities mounted on its back and that there are two classifications the flying Bakunawa 
and the land Bakunawa. So the story of the Bakunawa goes along with the idea of seven moons. Ancient Filipinos believed that when Bathala created the moon, he created seven so that each would illuminate one night of the week. The nights were bright and beautiful because of these seven queens who continuously shone in the night sky. But the joy of the people on earth didn't last and the beauty of the sky was no more when one night a terrifying creature that coiled around the world like an evil serpent envied the beautiful creations of the Almighty and to the great dismay of the people on earth, the creature swallowed six of the moons. And this serpent was named Bakunawa. When Bathala saw the creature devouring all but one moon, he planted bamboos on the remaining moon. From afar, they looked like stains on the surface of the moon. So that's the story of the Bakunawa, or Naga, the giant serpent or dragon with a looped tail. The Bakunawa was central to a 16-point compass rose. It faced a different cardinal direction every three months. The mouth of the Bakunawa was believed to bring misfortune and evil, and various points in the compass all had different aspects depending on where the mouth was facing. This was used when making future plans like travel, trade, or marriage. When building houses, shamans were consulted to determine the best place for the foundation to avoid bad luck that would be brought by the Bakunawa. Sorcery is an important part of Filipino witchcraft. Some shamans controlled the physical world through incantations, talismans, potions, or their spirit intermediaries. Healers are more strongly associated with sorcerers than with mediums. In most cases, a healer is also a sorcerer. In order to cure or counteract sorcerous illnesses, healers must be familiar with sorcery. In some cultures, shamans are entirely differentiated from sorcerers. Shamans deal with the spirit world and supernatural beings, but do not have magical powers of their own, while sorcerers are regarded as human beings with powers gained from magical spells or objects. In some cultures, though, the most powerful shamans were sorcerers. They could command the elements through magic spells and through the strength of their kalog, which was equated with spiritual power. Their powers included conjuring fire or water, flight, shape-shifting, invisibility, and the ability to call down disasters. A common use of the power to command the elements was for rain-making. One powerful shaman alleviated a three-year drought by performing a ritual that summoned a rainstorm. But sorcery was not restricted to shamans. It was also a common claim for leaders and warrior heroes. Some people believe that heroes are born with twin spirits that grant them superhuman abilities. They believed that heroes had the ability to take on the aspect of typhoons, floods, and pillars of fire, or even the form of a giant crocodile. Shamans were generally viewed in a positive light, but the negative counterparts of shamans were collectively called witches, and these witches actually included a variety of different kinds of people with different occupations and cultural connotations depending on the ethnic group they were associated with. Filipino shamans generally had another role in the community aside from being a spiritualist. The jobs of shamans range from being merchants, warriors, farmers, fishermen, blacksmiths, craftsfolks, weavers, potters, musicians, or even barbers or chefs. 
Some shamans even have more than two occupations at one time. And this is especially true if the community lacks people with the needed skills to take on the role of certain jobs. The influence of shamans waned under the Spanish Empire. And this is because shamans were falsely accused of being witches and priests of the devil, and they were persecuted by Spanish clergy. The Spanish burned everything they associated with native people's indigenous religions, including shrines, and they even forcefully ordered native children to defecate on their own god's idols. They murdered those who disobeyed. Spanish friars often sought out and persecuted female shamans. In modern Filipino society, the role of the shaman has largely been taken over by folk healers who are now predominantly male, and some are still being falsely accused of being witches. In areas where the people have not been converted to Islam or Christianity, the shamans and their cultural traits have continued to exist. But these shamans and their practices are being slowly diluted by Christianity and Islam. Spanish colonization of the Philippines and the introduction of Catholic Christianity resulted in basically the extinction of most shamanistic practices. By the late 16th century, Christian symbols and paraphernalia like rosaries, crucifixes, and holy water became fetish objects, and Latin prayers and verses became part of the shaman's repertoire of magical chants and spells. Anito images were replaced by Catholic idols, and their rituals were syncretized, so they started to attribute Anito-like powers to the idols, such as miraculous healing or the ability to possess people. These ideas flourished because they were tolerated by the Spanish clergy as white magic. Nature spirits were also syncretized with the friars themselves and they became known as Encanto and they were described as having European features along with the propensity for deceiving, seducing, and playing tricks on people. The previously high status of the Filipino shaman was lost during this time. The role of women became more subdued under the patriarchal culture of the Spanish. Most Filipino shamans were stigmatized by the Catholic clergy as witches, Satanist, or mentally unstable. The Spanish burned down everything associated with the native people's indigenous religions. Shamans who were assimilated by the church syncretized their roles into mysticism in the Christian context, and they became faith healers and miracle workers. The faith healers were still in essence mediums, but instead of channeling Anito, they instead claimed to channel saints, angels, or the Holy Spirit. This is similar among among Muslim Filipinos. Shamans are usually male and they're now relegated to folk healing and dealing with indigenous spirits. So there are Islamized shamans just like there are Christianized shamans. They follow Islam, but they also provide traditional healing practices and cultural rituals that are retained from their shamanistic past. They usually perform minor rites like cutting the hair of the firstborn or exorcism. The group of people who were most affected by the religious shift to Abrahamic religions were the Asog. During the 17th and 18th centuries, Spanish administrators in the Philippines burned people convicted of homosexual relations at the stake 
stake and confiscated their possessions. They did all of this legally in accordance with a decree by the president of the Real Audiencia. There are several instances of these kinds of punishments that were recorded by Spanish priests. So like I said before, Asogs would probably identify as trans women. Quote-unquote feminized men were also persecuted harshly in Islamized ethnic groups in the Philippines. Records from the Spanish note that their crime was considered unnatural and it was punished by the Muslim people with death by burning or drowning and that their houses and property were also burned as they believed that the behavior was contagious. Followers of the native shamanism resisted Spanish rule and conversion. Entire villages would defy the policies of resettlement and move deeper into the island interiors following instructions from their shamans. Shamanistic rituals also continued to be performed secretly in some areas, but these were punished by Spanish clergy when they were discovered. Open revolts led by shamans were common during Spanish rule. The first recorded armed revolt by a shaman was the Tamblot Uprising in 1621 to 1622. It was led by a male shaman named Tamblot who saw the spread of Catholicism as a threat. He rallied around 2,000 followers in an effort to return to the old ways, but his rebellion was crushed by Spanish authorities with the help of converted native people. But Tamblot's revolt inspired another rebellion, which was called the Banca Revolt. The Banca Revolt was led by a man named Banca and his son Pagali, who was a shaman. Banca's rebellion was notable because Banca was one of the first converts to Catholicism in the Philippines. Banca and Pagali both wanted to return to the old ways. Banca renounced his Catholic faith and built a temple, but their rebellion was defeated by a Spanish governor. Banca was beheaded and Pagali and 81 other shamans were burned at the stake. Revolts and uprisings continued in the Philippines through the 19th century and into the 20th century. Eventually, the Spanish left the Philippines, but that didn't mean that the Filipino people were left to rule themselves. Spanish rule was simply replaced by American rule. So after Spanish colonial rule ended, that is when American colonial rule began. So yes, the Philippines were first colonized by Spain, and then they were colonized by the United States. So they had to continue to rebel and fight back against outside rule. In the early 1900s, a group calling themselves the Pulajanes, or those who wear red, claimed to have supernatural powers and used fetishistic amulets, holy oils, and magic spells in battle. They attacked American troops and local Filipinos who cooperated with American colonial government. But the last Pulajanes leader was killed in 1911. As you can see, the Philippines has a really rich history of spiritual beliefs and of fighting for freedom. Even though it might seem like I went really in-depth on Filipino culture and Filipino belief systems, there is so much more to learn. So if you're interested, I encourage you to do some further research because Filipino culture is very fascinating. It's a beautiful, rich culture, and I'm happy that I had the chance to learn more about it. Thank you so much for listening.